Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,260. This week on Cars Yeah, we are honoring the La Jolla Concours, taking place on April 12th through the 14th in my hometown at La Jolla Cove. You can learn more about this fabulous event at LaJollaConcours.com. If you want to get ahead, the best way to do that is to volunteer for everything. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from beautiful Newport Beach, California, where I bet it's a little warmer than it is here in Gig Harbor, Washington, Bill Lyon. Bill, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am. All right. Great to have you here. Bill Lyon is executive chairman and chairman of the board of directors of William Lyon Homes. Bill's father, General William Lyon, entered the building business way back in 1954. His combined companies have produced more than 100,000, yeah, 100,000 residential units spanning a history of more than 60 years. Incredible. Today, they build attached and detached homes throughout California, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and Texas. Bill started working at the company at the young age of 11. I'm imagining you're on job sites sweeping up, well, carrying lumber around and stuff like that. Uh, he's been much. an integral pretty much, yeah. He's been an integral part of the company after graduating from Stanford University. He grew up around classic cars, though. His father was an avid collector, and the family collection included Packwards, Duesenbergs, and Mercedes-Benz, just to name a few marks. And Bill has raced vintage cars, mainly Porsches, for the past 20 years. Bill is an entrant in La Jolla Concorde de Elegance. That's the link that brings him to Cars Yacht today. I'll get to see him down in La Jolla in April, along with all the other fantastic cars there above La Jolla Cove, my old hometown. So, Bill, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment before I jump into the questions and share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles and vintage racing? Um, well, sure. I uh, got started very early uh, with uh, my father's company. And like you said, uh, sweeping out things, cleaning up things tearing up things uh, that were supposed to be torn down, which was more fun than cleaning up, but uh, still yeah. a lot of work. And did that uh, pretty much every summer through my childhood, through high school and, and part of college. And then um, got to come back and, and start full-time with the company in 1997. So just over 20 years here uh, with the company as well. And, you know, it's been a great, great experience kind of to grow up with my dad who had a really interesting life 96 uh actually coming up this uh wow. saturday so oh my gosh uh, well happy early birthday to your dad yeah but he was uh you know his first love was airplanes and being a pilot you know started that in high school and then got involved uh with the air force in world war ii and flew in korea and was always you know a car guy though a lot of his stories were about how he was the car guy in the family and his father always bought brown Buicks and stuff like that. And he was always at the <laughs> car show looking at something more racy and painting his uh, his Ford uh, hardtop on a Model T and painted it Chinese red with a brush or something. And <laughs> the neighbors complained to his mom in, in Los Angeles and she told him to leave him alone because he was a good kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just having fun. He's not out getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of grew up 
grew up around cars, grew up going to you know Pebble Beach, and then sort of got uh, exposed to vintage racing um, around 13, and and sort of that seed, I guess, took a long time to sprout. But after uh, college and getting kind of settled back into my career, started getting involved with uh, vintage racing and Porsches, and and still involved with uh, the classics and doing things with my father. So it's it's been uh, a lot of fun and meet a lot of great people. So it's it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank your father for me for his service and wish him a happy birthday. I mean, absolutely fantastic. World War II veteran, Korean veteran, absolutely spectacular. Well, as we continue on your journey, though, I'd like to ask you for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been Perhaps instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So, Bill, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'll kind of rope back uh, to my father a little bit, but uh, something that I think was his uh, philosophy that I try to be mindful of and and follow where I can. Uh, He always uh, said, you know, if you want to get ahead in the military or anything else, you know, the best way to do that is to volunteer for everything. And um, <laughs> yeah. he, uh, you know, was was in a somewhat unique role. He he would have liked to have been an officer in, in the Air Force, but he wound up kind of going in a different way, which is a longer story. But uh, he became a service pilot uh, as a warrant officer and was part of the ferrying group. And so they were taking new planes, you know, basically from the U.S. and then transporting them all over the world where they were needed. And, you know, a lot of the guys were married or they had families. And so, you know, they would announce, you know, okay, we got a trip. Uh, we need somebody to fly this plane to Morocco tomorrow. You know, you'll be back in three weeks or something. And not too many guys were takers. And he was no. young and single and, you know, he lo- loved to fly and, you know, yeah. loved to fly anything he could. So he, he wound up because of that being checked out in a ridiculous number of different aircraft and flew them all over the world, you know, as far west wow. as Australia and east as North Africa, Europe, Iran. And uh, so it, it uh, for his military career in particular, it uh, uh, was very helpful. And I was, uh, as I said, kind of grew up working in the field. And the only thing I, I, I didn't enjoy doing was uh, doing a little bit of insulation work, but everything else I, I was <laughs> yeah. okay with. Insulation is no if, fun. If they needed, needed it done, I would do it. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. so I, I, and I think, you know, there were a few times out there where, you know, I, I didn't make a big deal of who I was, but guys would find out. And, and um, one particular instance, I don't know what was going on, but two of the trades were in a, in a bit of a spat with each other and the plumber had gone in and dropped all his pipes that he was going to use to hook up a sink into sort of the cabinet. And then uh, some other contractor had decided it'd be funny to go in there and pee on all that stuff. And so he came, oh my came in and found that and got all upset and he's out in the street, you know, jumping up and down and freaking out. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put the sink in and, so I, I went and got a roll of paper towels and I went and cleaned it all up and yeah. I just said, all right, go do it. And he, yeah. <laughs> he couldn't yeah. really be upset about that. After no, the, fact, the so. kid is acting like an adult and the adult's <laughs> acting like a kid. So that kind of works. Well, it's a, you know, it's a really great way to go through life is to volunteer. And uh, there's a great quote um, by the founder of Virgin Records and Virgin Airlines out there who's always said, you know, say yes to every opportunity and figure out how to do it later. Don't worry about it. Sir Richard Branson's quote. And I always like that quote because 
It's one of those things that basically says, you know, if you have an opportunity in front of you, take it no matter what. You can figure out how to do it if you want to work hard enough and ask the right questions. So obviously that served your father well. Just watch out for plumbers and other yes. other folks <laughs> spatting about. Now, my dad was an architect and a builder, and okay. yeah, I worked many summers on his jobs and saw some adults acting very much like children just going, <laughs> oh, my gosh, calm down, boys. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, business for sure. Well, you kind of alluded to this, and we've talked about this, about your passion for cars, what instigated that. Obviously, your father had a major role, but is there a pivotal moment in your life when you kind of stopped and went, you know what, I'm a car guy just like dad? Well, I, I don't, it, it sort of, I think I was always interested in cars. And I mean, I can remember getting, uh, I think I got in a little bit of hot water because I think I raised my hand at some auction when I was like nine years old or something and <laughs> didn't, didn't wind up buying anything luckily, but, uh, definitely got my father's attention. But I mean, he had me driving, uh, you know, learning how to drive stick at like 11 on a Ford Model A pickup. And, and so that was kind of the weekend thing is, where he kept his cars in a warehouse, I'd I'd be out tooling around in the parking lot practicing shifting and and oh, cool. uh, I'd say that the probably the thing that was more my uh, personal take on it was sort of the vintage racing and that kind of mentioned it earlier, but that sort of seed was planted um, I think when I was about thirteen and he you know every year we had uh, gone to uh, when they were disbanding the Harris collection we went to the auctions. And he usually bought a couple of cars. They're, they had these massive auctions and basically everything except for, I think there was 150 cars or something they were going to put into another museum. Everything except mm-hmm. those was going. And I think they had auctions two or three years in a row and they were all no reserve auctions and right. thousands of people showed up and, and um, they got down, I guess, to the, those last 150 or so cars. And I, I think the, the uh, charity that was going to form this museum, I, I guess they were going to purchase the cars and I think they came up short on their funding. And so there was going to be another auction of 80 or so cars and they hadn't really announced it yet. And my father was able to kind of swoop in and buy the, the lot of cars completely. And wow. um, yeah, so it was, it was a big deal. And I, found the list a couple of years ago and wish we still had half of the cars. <laughs> of course. Some incredible yeah. cars that, uh, you know, he had a dozen or so he really wanted and then the rest. Sure. So there was a very uh, unique assortment of cars, including a Indianapolis 500 winning Miller, uh, Bugatti Royale that we kept for a number of years, um, a bunch of Ferraris, a Pegaso, uh, and even, I think, a couple of Big Daddy Roth uh, hot rods. Uh, so a real kind of mixed bag of cars, uh, but there was, you know, a good dozen or so that my dad really wanted to keep. And, and, uh, then he, he sold the rest and sort of that vintage racing bug really started when we went to visit the cars after he completed the deal and they had, you know, sort of cordoned them off in a, a building that they changed the locks, gave him the key, the alarm and everything. And said, okay, you got a year, you can use this space. And that was part of what they negotiated, but they walked us around, showed us all the cars. And then they said, Oh, we got one more car that's not in here. Cause we had to finish a service on it. And, um, so we went over and we were walking through their shops there. And, um, as you probably know, Harris did, you know, some incredible restoration work and oh, they were yeah. really kind of some of the first to really try to preserve the cars and restore them correctly. And, and so it was really neat seeing all that. And, and then, um, 
there's this uh, Bugatti Grand Prix racer uh, sort of in pieces over there. And um, I was 13 years old, but I, you know, seen a bunch of cars restored and I kind of said, Hey, are you restoring this? They said, Oh no, we're, we're just servicing it. We, we just vintage raced it. And I was like, in the back of my head, I go, what? People <laughs> drive this car? Cars? Yeah. <laughs> it was 1927. And so, yeah, so somewhere that started kicking around in the back of my head and I didn't, didn't really do anything about it until um, I graduated high school and a president I asked to go to uh, the Bondurant High Performance Driving School with my father. So he and I did that. Cool. And then went to college and came home and, you know, started trying to figure out how to get uh, involved in vintage racing. And so You're that's, <laughs> yeah, sort of seed got planted very early and took a long time to grow. But yeah, I, I bought a, a 67 Porsche 912 and started just doing kind of club events with that and then eventually got involved with some of the, uh, vintage race clubs and started racing so well that's quite a seed to plant an old uh 30 37 did you say bugatti that was 1927 27 oh my gosh wow well that's pretty darn cool wow what a what a fun childhood you had for sure well let's move forward in time and talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you perhaps faced along the way something that kind of pushed you to your limits and the reason i ask this is more about the lesson it taught you so that you could move forward in a positive way so being in the building industry, home building industry, no doubt there's some ups and downs with that, especially when you relate to the uh, economy and to things that are happening. Uh, we know that big uh, incident back in 07, 08, 09, I'm sure it had an effect on a few people, uh, at least it has on this show. But walk us through one of those, would you, and kind of tell us how you how you came out of that and what it taught you. Well, um, as my dad told me again when I was a teenager, we don't need to gamble, we're in real estate. That was the first time we, we, I was in Las Vegas and I was trying to get him to play a slot machine. And that was his response. And it was very unsatisfying at the time and I didn't understand it. And as coincidentally, as you mentioned, <laughs> started yep. 2007 to 2012, I got to understand it very well. And, oh, yeah. and uh, we uh, went through a very difficult period. Um, at that point, we were just in uh, Phoenix, Nevada and California. And those were three of the oh, four hit worst hit markets. Yeah. You know, we'd gotten up to about 3,500 homes a year, uh, which was a record. And we had almost yeah. a thousand employees and, but it just, the music kind of stopped and, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, we had to shrink the company and, and do it pretty quickly. And, you know, my dad, uh, was very, but he'd been through about seven of these. So he'd seen it before and oh, yeah. he just, yep. he said, uh, you know, he used a, a, uh, flight analogy and he said you know it's it's like flying through a thunderstorm you just got to cinch down your belt and watch your instruments and stand course and yeah. you know just keep going until you get through the other side because if become very reactive and start trying to see if it's better over here or over there and kind of lose track of where you're going you're not you're just going to get stuck in the storm and so yeah. uh yeah. it was very painful and uh you know having grown up in the company and with a lot of the people in the company and feeling like well, responsible the family. For that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. It was it was tough, and and uh, but uh, you know we uh, started to see things get better in 2012, and you know last year we had uh, a record that eclipsed that one. We're now in seven states, and all kind of a an outcome I would not have ever foreseen, uh, given how bad things were at the time. That right. uh, we'd, right. we'd be on the other side of it, kind of looking back and back well above our, our peak again. And, and I'd say that the other thing that was really pretty amazing was 
you know, when we had to uh, shrink our workforce, we kept the best people. We didn't necessarily keep mm-hmm. the, the cheapest people. We, you know, right. some of the people had been there 25 years and they're still here after 30 years. And, and, right. uh, but it was really amazing to see the quality and the efficiency of, you know, when you really kind of whittle something down to really the A team and, and what a what they can smaller, produce. Yeah. A smaller team of really good people can, can really surpass, you know, in yeah. an average team that's much bigger. So. So for a lesson like this, because no doubt things will change, they always do. And when you get up to be my age and you've lived through a bunch of these down cycles, um, what would be your advice for someone maybe young in a business here that hasn't seen this happen yet as far as how to prepare for something like this and also how to identify it as quickly as possible and how to react as quickly as possible? Because it's not so much about the ability to see what's going wrong, it's what you do about it that makes the difference. Yeah, well, I wish I had a better crystal ball. <laughs> it's, it's sort of a, a with our business, we're buying you know raw land kind of two to three years in advance, and obviously things can change in the economy much 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 faster than that. So it's uh, hard to hard to predict when things are going to go bad, and and unfortunately, a slowdown affects a lot of people, and and it's actually really been tough on the industry because a lot of it was so bad for so long. A lot of people either got out. Uh, of our industry or didn't enter it because it just didn't seem like a good idea at the time. But, uh, but there's right. always, you know, a need for housing. And I think that's something my dad, you know, always felt very strongly about is that it's part of the American dream to, you know, have your house and, and yeah. a place to raise your family. And so I think we've been trying to refocus kind of on, uh, you know, affordable and really more attainable product in a lot of our markets uh, where things have gotten pretty heated because, you know, in Seattle and Bay Area, there really isn't anything that's affordable. So it's no. uh, trying to really play to the first time and, and sort of first time move up buyer and, and trying to be in, in the meat of the market. And I guess that's maybe the, there's a advice there for people if they're involved in real estate is really trying to make sure your skills are applicable to a, a, a wide range of the market and not sort of just a niche uh, market that can kind of go away when things get tough. But Are you guys uh, seeing um, any upswing with, so let's say, millennials uh, getting to a point now where they are buying homes? Because for a long time, you know, I was hearing, well, the millennials and even Y, Generation Ys, you know, they just, they can't afford houses. They've given up. They're not buying houses. But are you seeing any improvement there? I mean, you're starting to see that group, that age group of people buying first-time homes? Yeah, well, I think that generation is getting married a little bit later. They're having kids a little bit later. So maybe not buying homes as early as, um, you know, even my generation in the mid-40s. But when they start having kids and get married and, you know, going through those kind of life changes, I think that's when, you know, the changes. changes. Yeah. So (laughs) I think it's taken some of them longer to come to the party, but they're they're definitely, you know, there's definitely still a demand for housing and, and, uh, you know, particularly for families. Yeah, great to hear. Well, let's talk about your first really special car. What was that first special car that you had in your life and maybe share a memory you have about that ride? Well, I thought about this a lot and because because of my father, I had I was exposed to a lot of really special cars that, you know, weren't necessarily mine, but I had uh, access to them and and you know, got to be around them and drive them and probably the first experience that came to mind as I was thinking about that was my father, as I said, it taught me to drive stick at a pretty early age, and and I 
pretty sure at this point I was probably 14 years old. I don't think I was, I don't think I had a license yet, but we lived in kind of a private community. And at that time it was pretty sleepy. And so periodically we'd drive, you know, classic cars up and down the street, kind of out in front of their property. And, and, um, he had gotten a particular car as a, a big birthday present for my mother. And if anybody that asks him what his favorite car is, he always says it's this car. And it's a 1929 Model J Duesenberg. And it's actually wow. the first Model J Duesenberg. It's J101. It's a dual cal Phaeton, kind of a LeBaron sweet panel design. And, you know, it's it's pretty scruffy. It was pretty scruffy when he got it. And that was, you know, almost well, about 30 years ago now. So, but uh, he, we were out driving that, or he was driving, we were driving up and down the road. And I was just happy being a passenger. And then he pulled over and he said, do you want to drive it? And I said, <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> like, I don't want to drive this. It's way, way too, I didn't know how valuable it was. I just knew it was, had to be an extremely valuable car and probably not something I should be doing. He said, no, you should drive it. I'll teach you how to drive it. And so, nice. um, really being taught how to double clutch a, a 29, uh, model J Duesenberg when I was about 14 years old was probably the, the first really kind of standout experience that I could think of. And uh, still, I, yeah. I was, Sitting there going, I, I, this is a bad idea, Dad. <laughs> I don't think you want to do this. What if I screw it up? And he's like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Yeah, that is quite quite an amazing automobile. Wow. And to to have that as a car you got to drive at that age, that's one of those memories that never ends. Is that car still in the family? Of course it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mom's yeah. car. He can't sell mom's car. So yeah. No, no. That would be yeah. the last last to go, I'm sure, in my dad's wow. opinion. That's great. Awesome. Well, how about Sellers or Morris? Is there a car that you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you had back, and let's take let's take money out of the equation because that kind of muddies things up. More of an emotional sale. Yeah, there's there was a few that uh, I, I would say my my father sold uh, a couple times, had to sell some cars when real estate wasn't doing so well, and and uh, he hunted most of them down and <laughs> bought them back bought when them back. things were Good were a little him. bit better. But uh, this last time around, um, we had a, a very unique car. It's a 1965 Cobra chassis, but then it, it had a one-off Mercer body that was designed by Virgil Exner, and it was supposed to be like what a Mercer would have looked like in 1965. And it was a really cool, really a concept car, not really something you could drive on the street, but uh, but it was cool that it was based on a Cobra. It, it, it was all trimmed in uh, brass and copper and just kind of a really unique car. And it, it was a nice bookend to another car we have that's a 58 Bugatti 101C that was the last chassis the factory built. Wow. And then uh, Virgil Exner and his son found that chassis and then again built what their vision of a, of a Bugatti of the mid-60s would be like. And so they were a neat kind of bookend. And we kept the Bugatti and, and sold the Mercer Cobra. and, and uh, still kind of a neat car that I, I miss having around just because it had a nice pairing with the other one. And yeah. I remember looking at it as a kid and, and it's kind of hard to explain without a picture, but it had this very distinctive grill with sort of a, a pod on each side that had a rim, sort of a, a copper ribbing and, and rim around it. And I was looking in the grill one day, just as I was walking past it, and I caught a little glint of a headlight. And I was like, why is there a headlight behind the grill? And then I kind of looked and realized that there there was 
headlights pointed at each other inside the radiator grill, which was sort of a false grill in front of the real radiator. And then I realized these little pods were actually the headlights that were retracted in. And so I was able to get the battery hooked up, find the switch under the dash, and then they folded out. And I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. (laughs) That's wild. Wow. I have to look that car up. I'm not familiar with that vehicle. Very, very unique. It's out there. It's a neat car. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Well, I know that are you gonna you're gonna be attending the La Jolla Concord this year, right? Yes, yes. And is there a car or a couple cars that you're bringing? We yes, we're bringing a 39 Cadillac uh, V16 town car, and then we're also bringing a 35 Duesenberg Gurney Nutting Speedster. Wow, that's cool. What is it about the La Jolla Concord that you enjoy so much? Uh, well, last year was the, the first time I'd been, and, and I was just really impressed with, you know, the location and the venue, and, you know, it was a gorgeous day right on the water there, and they put on, you know, great food and everything, and uh, there were some great cars there. It was just a really nice setting, not uh, not too big, not too many people, but, uh, you know, not too far away from home here in Newport Beach, so it was a, right. it was a great day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a wonderful event. I'll encourage the listeners. If you've not attended it, you've got to get to San Diego County, La Jolla, just north of San Diego. Uh, it's a town I grew up in, and the setting is at Scripps Park. It's up above La Jolla Cove and the ocean. It, it's kind of like going to the Pebble Beach Concours, but not as grandiose, let's put it that way, because the, the space is smaller there. It's the park there, but it's just absolutely spectacular show. So I encourage you to check it out, and if you're there, you can walk up and say hello to Bill. And check out his uh, 39 Caddy and this 35 Duesenberg, no doubt, are going to be spectacular cars to sit there on the lawn. Well, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors that make this show possible. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right. 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from the Cars Yeah podcast. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? That's right. Cars Yeah is now on MAV-TV. 
I visit some of the past Cars Yeah guests and take you along for the ride. Go to MavTV.com to learn more where you can enjoy Cars Yeah TV. MavTV is also available on DirecTV, FuboTV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through MavTV.com online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, we're back, Bill, and this is a bit of an introspective question. I'm going to be the the psychologist and have you sit on the couch and kind of tell me what you feel here. Uh, If you came back tomorrow manifested as a vehicle, what kind of car would Bill be and why? Probably a Porsche 356 Coupe, just a normal, not not anything too hot-rotted or a career or anything, and probably just because I enjoy driving cars like that that don't necessarily have a lot of power or tires or brakes and you know have to really be efficient with their momentum and yeah that's kind of my personality trying to uh trying to do a lot with, <laughs> with probably not enough time or uh, <laughs> uh energy to do it but uh but trying to you yeah. know keep momentum on my side so i like it well that's a nice analogy you know i've got a, the cars yeah tv show now and one of the shows is centered around a guy in not too far from you in Long Beach, John Wilhoyt, who does some incredible restorations of Porsche 356s. We went to his shop and got to uh, walk through his shop, and he talked about what he's done. I mean, he's been building cars for 35 years. He he built a car that I bought from him years ago, a Beck Spider, which is a replica of a 550 Spider, but he built it with all Porsche parts, which made it extra special. And my son, who was eight at the time, he and I jumped in that car and Drove all the way back up to Gig Harbor, Washington. It was a five-day trip along the coast. And I remember as we were about to leave, I looked at John and I said, well, I've got my cell phone and you know some water and sunscreen. What else do I need? And he looked at me. And if you know John, he's got a very laid-back guy. He goes, a good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it. He built us a great car. So uh, we had no problems along yeah, the way. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, pretty darn cool. Well, I'm going to fire off a series of questions here and ask you to give us some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Um, I had to I had to look it up, but uh, I did prepare <laughs> a little bit for this question anyway <laughs> because uh, I I was uh, sitting next to someone when I attended the uh, Louis Vuitton Classic in New York City uh, with my parents in 1998. I didn't know who he was or really I wasn't a Porsche guy then and didn't really know much about him, but it, it turned out it was Bob Snodgrass. And I oh, was yeah. uh, talking to him, of you know, Brumos Porsche and you know, yeah. obviously super famous Porsche racing team. And, oh, yeah. and I kind of, you know, seed it was, was sprouting on the vintage racing side, even though I uh, was uh, just getting out of college and it was kind of talking to him about it. And, and I had no, I, kind of a stupid thing I started talking to him about it because with everything he'd done in terms of racing I, I'm yeah, like oh, yeah, I kind of go racing hey, you know, kid, and, I think I know yeah. what I'm talking about <laughs> but I didn't really know what I was doing I didn't know where to start I wasn't a Porsche guy and, and, and at all and, and he didn't recommend Porsche he just said just don't be dumb and go buy some car that's got way more power than than the the frame can handle and so yeah. I was like well what do you mean he's like ah, don't just don't buy some little English car that's all hopped up or something like that. And so that was kind of, you know, what I yeah. took to heart when I, I wound up going uh, for a 912 because I figured, well, it's basically got a 911 body with the 356 motor and, yeah. you know, hopefully I can stay out of trouble in that. And 
that doesn't mean I didn't swap ends a few times until I figured it out. But uh, sure. but it yeah. was uh, was very good advice, particularly for somebody starting out in vintage racing. Well, getting uh, racing advice from Bob Snodgrass. Oh my gosh, that's advice to take, <laughs> and it sounds like you did. How about a personal habit? Is there one that you feel you have that is believe that is uh, I should say contributed to your many successes? Um, I just try to prepare and not be, I guess, in a hurry, which drives my wife crazy sometimes because. I always want to leave early and kind of get, you know, get situated. But, uh, you know, I, I just feel like I, my comfort zone is when I'm kind of prepared and I've got kind of a routine. And when I get outside of that, I find myself, uh, you know, it's harder for me to think on my feet and, and really be effective. So kind of just uh, being prepared and, and kind of uh, giving myself a little extra time here and there. Wasn't that the Boy Scout motto, be prepared? I think, <laughs> I think it, it might be. I think it might <laughs> yes. be. Yeah, exactly. How about a resource? There are a lot of great resources these days. Is there one that you'd like to share? Well, maybe a little bit off topic, but uh, but I wanted to share a little bit about the Lion Air Museum, which uh, my father started about 10 years ago wow. uh, at John Wayne Airport here in uh, Orange County, California. And cool. um, it's a great Air Museum, which we also happen to display some cars at from time to time. And he uh, collected a number of planes that he flew during World War II in Korea. And so there's everything from a B-17 to a C-47 to a T-6 trainer. And our uh, director of the museum actually has a little uh, bird dog, which was a a reconnaissance plane in Vietnam. And so uh, pretty broad spectrum of planes, but it's the best part about it is we've got a great group of uh, volunteer docents. A lot of them are veterans and a lot of them, you know, are, are surviving World War II veterans. Uh, they're getting up there pretty far now in their age, but uh, yeah. just they love coming down there to hang out and talk to people about airplanes and cars, whatever else uh, they want to talk about. So it, I think it's a great resource here in our community and always trying to get people to show up. Absolutely. I'll remind listeners, I'll put a link on to Bill's Cars Yeah show notes page. That's Lion, L-Y-O-N, airmuseum.org. Very cool website, incredible aircraft, uh, tribute to your father and his service and to all those folks that uh, sir has served this country and still do today. Uh, but it's a great place and a great thing that your dad has started there. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Very, very cool. If I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that be? That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a really tough one. I probably would say Duncan Hamilton oh. and which is kind of maybe an odd pick, but coincidence and for those that don't know, he was uh the uh Jaguar driver that uh won uh, Le Mans for the first time for Jaguar yeah. in the fifties. He also, as we uh did some research on that uh nineteen twenty seven Bugatti thirty five B that uh, came out of Harris turned out to be one of the owners of that car and had club raced it throughout England and you know, this is before the, the Jaguar days and he <laughs> crashed it, he raced it, he <laughs> crashed knocked the knocked the rear axle off trying to get it out of his garden out to where his uh truck was. I mean just a oh lot gosh. of crazy things, but uh yeah. It reading about that helped me become a little more comfortable driving the car because again I was that was a goal of mine when I started vintage racing and, and uh, in 2002 there was a big Bugatti event at the Monterey Historics and oh yes uh, I remember that so we we got the car in shape for that and did all this research on the car and and uh, realized it was his car and I thought oh god I don't want to screw this thing up and and then read kind of basically that he 
done about anything you know you could possibly think of doing to the car and so i yeah. figured okay i'm not going to screw it up it's already been put back together a few times yeah. so no, most race cars have yeah they've been through the ringer yeah duncan hamilton's interesting there's a great book called Touchwood. Uh, that's yep. <laughs> all about Duncan Hamilton. And I got to spend a day with his son. He picked me up at the airport in England and drove me out to the countryside where he had a bunch of collector cars I was looking mm-hmm. at. And, um, uh, yeah, be careful getting in a car with Duncan Hamilton's son. Uh, this guy scared me to death driving through the streets of London. I'm like, I think I'm going to die here today. Uh, but we got there from back and so forth. But, uh, it's a great book. Touchwood is a great book. And speaking of books, is there a book that you'd like to share with our listeners that you've enjoyed reading? Well, you already stole my thunder on that one. I, that one Did I? Oh, well, gee, I jumped ahead. Well, you know, I, 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 it's so rare that people mention Duncan Hamilton. And I, I think it's pretty cool that you brought him up and it just yeah. brought back, you know, memories of going out to that beautiful country home where they had, he had some incredible cars because his son, of course, uh, Duncan Hamilton, he he sells um, collector cars in, yeah, yeah. in England for years and years. And uh, maybe you guys have bought cars from him. But, uh, yeah, sorry for stealing that from you. No, but that's wood. okay. But, yeah, but Touchwood is a, is a great book. And, and he discusses uh, the, the Bugatti quite quite a bit in there. And there's pictures. And um, oh. the, thing, the thing that I just couldn't get over is we think of particularly the Formula One drivers days you know they're just they're hyper athletes they're so yeah there's so much you know concentration and and you know physical fitness and they're just total athletes and and yep. you sort of read about the early days of you know racing and uh i think if i have it right but the year they won lamar they there was something about a practice car that had the same number as one of the entries and the french thought they were trying to you know, qualify with one, one car and switch cars. And so they disqualified the whole team. And so him and his co-driver went out and got drunk and had no intention of driving in the race. And then at like six o'clock in the morning, the team boss found, found them at some, you know, coffee shop and said, Hey, we're on. I, I paid a fine. We're back in. And they're like, we got to sober up and get ready. And, yeah. you know, and, and they were taking, you know, nips of whiskey in the pits. And you just oh think about it. There's no way that would fly these days, yeah. but, uh, no. So he seems like an interesting character for sure to have a drink with. <laughs> well, no doubt. And if you go back and look at pictures of him, he didn't look anything like a Formula One driver of today. No. <laughs> he's a pretty, he's a pretty big, robust boy. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah, he he never missed a meal, I don't think. But uh, it's a great book, and I'm gonna have to go back now and investigate that car that you mentioned, the Bugatti, because now that you got my interest up, and I'm gonna. Look over at my shelf here and check that out as soon as we hang up. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Sorry, I was going to say the pictures in there. The first time I'd ever seen a Bugatti with dually wheels on it, he was uh, running it in oh. uh, hill, hill climbs where they put two rims per side on the rear tires, and it just looks really bizarre. But <laughs> Yeah, well, things were different, a little different back then, but uh, you kind of did whatever you whatever you wanted to do. Well, we're up to the checkered flag here, Bill, and this could be a little bit of a tricky question for you. A guy who's been around so many fantastic cars in a family that has so many fantastic cars. Today, I'm going to buy you a fantastic car, a collector car, but there's a couple rules to this game that make it a little bit challenging. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with or finance a housing business. Two is you have to drive it. There's no garage queens allowed around here, no show cars. I want you to take it out and enjoy it. But the toughest part of this is it's the only collector car you can have in your garage. So what's it going to be? I think it would have to be a Ferrari 275 GTB. And we've never had one. I've never had one. 
always lusted after them and and I just I don't think I'd ever get tired of looking at it and I don't think I'd ever get tired of listening to it. So that was, that's why that would be my pick. Oh my gosh. Well, you picked something pretty special and uh, <laughs> yeah, this is going to cost me a pretty penny. Thanks a lot, pal. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know what's great about these cars is, I mean, they of course built some NART versions, uh, aluminum-bodied race mm-hmm. cars of these cars, which are pretty cool. Scaglietti-designed car, so that means right off it's like one of the coolest cars ever. Mm-hmm. Um, just the proportions of those cars, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And they built some some convertible versions. Do you want a coupe or a convertible? I don't know if I want to. I, I I don't think I can do the convertible to you. That that would break the budget for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, my, my budget gets broken every day, buddy. So don't worry about that. Some of the cars. I think I bought every Ferrari GTO that was ever built after uh, you know interviewing twelve hundred and thirty six people or whatever the number is today. But um, but no, that's good. I you know it's a great car. They're beautiful cars. One of the most beautiful Ferraris out there, and. Uh, there certainly have been some racing versions of those cars as well. So I think I can go out and find you one of those. I think one just, uh, didn't sell at the most recent auctions. It was yellow and it had some really funky lights mounted on the front. Um, I don't oh, think yeah. the bids, yeah, yeah <laughs> bids didn't come in quite high enough. Uh, I don't know who put those lights all over it. I'm sure it was some kind of a touring race car. We'll have to get rid of those, but, uh, it was a nice Ferrari fly yellow. So maybe, maybe that's the car I can, I can go out and find for you. Oh, my goodness. Well, Bill, you've taken me on a great ride today. Really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. I look forward to meeting you when we're both down there at La Jolla Concour uh, mid-April. I think we're going to have a fantastic time. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you race off into the sunset down the Pacific Coast Highway in that 275 GTB Ferrari? Bring your sunscreen to La Jolla. Hopefully, it'll be a great day like it was last year, and uh, I definitely got a little fried. So, <laughs> Yeah, every day in La Jolla is a great day, that's for sure. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and your company and what you guys do? Um, our website is uh, lion, L-Y-O-N, homes, H-O-M-E-S, dot com, and it basically showcases all our product on there. And I also have a, a blog, part of our site, uh, where I write the uh, an article every month or so and, and usually uh, sort of tie it into company history or, or different stories about my dad. So uh, cool. usually some good stuff on there. That I think there's even one vintage racing story on there. So, Well, you need to write some more for us car guys. So uh, I'll task you with that one. Well, listeners, I'll make sure you put our I put links to all of this on Bill's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just type Bill Lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, into the search bar and that'll come up. And don't forget to plan on joining Bill and I at the 15th annual La Jolla Concord Elegance taking place this April 12th through the 14th at the La Jolla Cove, beautiful La Jolla Cove. And you can learn a lot more about this at LaJollaConcord.com. Bill, thanks for spending some time with me today and sharing a fantastic family history with me and your experiences. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. 
For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy, too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.